Hello, you're listening to AIMS Audio Waves, a shortcast brought to you by AIMS, where we discuss the latest topics from the world of nutrition and dietetics in short, easy to listen to episodes, ideal for listening to on the go. My name is Priya Chu. I'm a registered dietitian running Dietitian UK, a private practice and consultancy. I specialize in eating disorders and IBS, and I'm also a media dietitian and author to do books, The Dash Diet and The Complete Low FODMAP Diet Plan. And today I am your host. Today we're going to also welcome back Sarah Elder, Advanced Clinical Practice Dietitian in Eating Disorders. Hi Sarah, it's so wonderful to have you back with us today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me back. The last episode was amazing. We spoke about peer support opportunities for dietitians working in eating disorders. Really, really worthwhile listening to that episode. If you haven't done already, please do go and find it. Today we are going to explore whether there is a rise in the incidence of vegan and plant-based eating amongst eating disorder patients. Choosing to follow a vegan diet when undergoing treatment for an eating disorder seems to be a difficult subject matter to discuss, as much of the evidence base as to whether this is helpful or not is anecdotal. Would you agree with that, Sarah? And if so, in your experience, have you seen a rise in the incidence of veganism amongst people undergoing treatment for eating disorders? I do agree. It's absolutely a difficult subject matter. And I think that as teams, we can find it really difficult to start that conversation to kind of understand someone's dietary choices. And I guess in terms of stripping that back to those definitions, when we think about veganism, it's defined by the vegan society as a way of living, which seeks to exclude as far as possible and practical all forms of kind of exploitation or cruelty to animals. And it's not just about food. And I think that's the bit that we always need to remember, because I think that some people make assumptions that if someone is vegan and they also have a diagnosis of an eating disorder, that they may have chosen that diet as a way to kind of restrict their intake in a socially acceptable way. But we need to remember that actually being vegan it's for so, so many different reasons. And it could be down to concerns about the environment, sustainability, to improve health. There's lots of reasons why someone would choose to follow a vegan diet. And I think that it's really important that we are respecting the choices of the clients that we're working with, but also exploring that choice to become vegan and thinking about the whole picture rather than just kind of focusing on that food intake. I guess in terms of the research that we have got out there, like you say, it's kind of anecdotal really at the moment. There's research papers that kind of suggest that if you have an eating disorder, there kind of is a sort of a higher percentage of people that have an eating disorder that choose to be vegetarian. However, when we look at solid evidence around veganism, it's really hard to kind of identify whether someone has chosen a vegan diet because of their eating disorder or actually they want to have a vegan diet that's their choice that's what's happening it's really important to them because of sustainability to improve overall health and so therefore actually unpicking that is is really really difficult to do and there isn't any clear kind of research that's been conducted to actually look at that link between veganism and eating disorders There's just quite a bit of looking at the incidences of people choosing a vegetarian diet, where we have seen that actually it is higher prevalence of people choosing a vegetarian diet 
if someone just have an eating disorder? It's a really tricky one, I think, isn't it? To unpick with people, to do that in a really kind way as well, that doesn't make them feel blamed or shamed in any way. I think our language and the way that we do that is is so important. And there are some people who do go on and do recovery from their eating disorder on a plant-based, on a vegan diet. I've certainly got people I'm working with right now who are doing that. I think it can be harder because of the types of foods you might have to include, but it certainly is possible in my experience. Just to add in there, sorry, is that there's actually a really small study, and I can pop the link into kind of the show notes, that people who have struggled with disordered eating found that actually following a vegan diet reduced their focus on body image and it helped them to actually develop those new connections within that vegan culture. So what we're seeing is we're seeing how veganism actually support people in terms of that recovery. But it's just really important that that is a very small study. It's only emerging and we can't put lots of emphasis necessarily upon that. But like you say, it's really important to talk to the people that we are working with and kind of see what's working for them right now what's going to be most helpful for them and how can we support with that and how can we meet their nutritional needs in a way that feels manageable for them at this time it feels like it's having that open conversation but also as dietitians having an open mind because I know years ago it was a complete no-no if you were trying to recover from an eating disorder on a vegan diet you were just told no you couldn't do that so I love the way that we're becoming a lot more open and fluid in the way that we're working with people which feels positive to me so let's move on we've got the term orthorexia that gets thrown around a lot and it's described in the media but not clinically recognized as a diagnosed eating disorder in your experience in working with eating disorder patients has there been a rise in eating disorders that maybe originate from a focus on healthy eating or from orthorexia For those people who aren't quite sure what orthorexia is, like you've said there, it doesn't have a specific clinical diagnosis. So orthorexia is kind of this obsession with proper or healthy full eating or kind of that clean eating. But because it doesn't have a clinical diagnosis, like say anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa or binge eating disorder, We don't have that diagnostic criteria, so it's really difficult to get kind of estimations on precisely how many people have orthorexia. And I guess what we see within NHS teams is we tend to support people that have kind of a a diagnosis more specifically or a working diagnosis. So if someone is to have orthorexia, I guess my question, and, and I don't know the answer to this, is where are they seeking support? What does that look like for them? Are they actually coming into NHS teams? Are they seeking private support? What does that look like? Are they ready to make changes? So because of all of those reasons, we're not actually sure in terms of those incidences of orthorexia. I guess what we do know, though, is that eating disorders are a serious mental health illness and they don't develop because of someone's change in diet alone. They develop due to social, environmental and psychological factors. There can be genetic factors as well. And anybody can develop an eating disorder regardless of age, gender, ethnicity or background. So dieting or 
the way in which you choose to have different foods, whether that's vegan, whether that is what is, I guess, seen and classed as really, really healthy. If you are on diets a lot of the time, they're not going to be the cause of an eating disorder, but they might be a contributing kind of factor. And I think what's really important to just mention here as well is that we mentioned vegan diets and and now we've spoken about that orthorexia as well. Just because you have chosen a vegan lifestyle or you have developed a choice to choose what is seen maybe in society as the healthier kind of options, it doesn't mean that you will develop an eating disorder or that you have disordered eating. It's just being aware that there is restrictions within those diets and are you actually meeting your nutritional needs? Is it stopping you from going anywhere socially? Is it stopping you from kind of going out with friends? Is it affecting your psychological health as well so it's just being really mindful that some of these things could be contributing factors but they're not going to cause an eating disorder as such and actually that research it just isn't there because like we said earlier it's not a clinical diagnosis so therefore we can't look at the rates and incidences of orthorexia so it's a really difficult one to see but I guess what we are seeing is rates of disordered eating and misunderstanding of nutritional information I feel like from my personal experience, I feel that's definitely, definitely on the rise. Yeah, I would agree. I think, yeah, definitely the nuances in nutrition and the way that things are extrapolated can be very confusing. And it's a key thing for us to stay up to date with. How would you say that dietary patterns and choices affect a treatment plan when supporting someone with an eating disorder, whether that's somebody who has disordered eating or orthorexia or veganism? Does there need to be further innovation with regards to suitable oral nutritional supplements, do you think, for this patient group as well? Absolutely. And I think that we need to be very, very clear that we cannot discriminate against people who choose to be vegan. We need to be looking at giving them kind of that equity of care what is available that they are able to have um, to be able to support their nutritional health. And I think quite a few years ago, I think you were, you were describing there where it was kind of a no-no that you actually wouldn't be supported with a vegan diet if you had an eating disorder. And that has changed. And I think it needed to change because there is a discrimination there that if actually what we're saying is, no, we cannot support you with a vegan diet, there's enough foods that are vegan to be able to kind of support someone to meet their nutritional needs and help them in terms of being able to eat socially and to be with others. And I think that if someone was very unwell and they were unable to kind of manage the food and they did need an oral nutritional supplement or they were kind of in need of pig feed or a nasogastric feed, for example, which is where a tube kind of is inserted and and kind of given that liquid formula, then we need to make sure that we are actually meeting the needs of those clients and not saying, well, do you know what? We just don't have anything available for you. So you're just going to have to have something that's not vegan. In life-threatening situations, if there is nothing available, then unfortunately we do have to do that. But actually we need to kind of call out to different companies and say, surely there is a way for us to develop these kind of formulas to support someone who is vegan on an NG feed or that is vegan who needs a peg feed or 
I know that we've kind of got some oral nutritional supplements at the moment. So people are able to kind of drink those and that's brilliant. But also we need to kind of speak out to the pharmaceutical industry as well, because there's lots of medications and vitamin and mineral supplements that actually as dietitians, we might be recommending that aren't vegan either. So we need to be looking at what would life-saving treatment look like and how can we make that vegan for someone so that we are supporting them to kind of meet their ethical needs. Because at the minute, we're having to kind of make some of those compromises with that individual because it is life-saving treatment. So we do need to make sure that we are supporting everyone because everybody is unique. So if we can do a bit of a call out to people to say, how can we develop these things? Then that would be brilliant. If dietitians can be a huge part of that, that would be absolutely fantastic. Mm, I agree. I think it's a really important discussion for us to be having and things are definitely moving on which also is is really positive so thank you Sarah for such an open conversation there and for just your thoughts because I think that's going to get lots of people thinking about how their best practice is looking right now and some of the areas we've tackled today may involve really difficult conversations with our patients but I think you provided some insightful ways that we can use and implement to best support patients undergoing treatment for eating disorders whilst really remaining sensitive to their dietary choices. So thank you so much for that. And join us again, please, next time for our next shortcast episode where we'll be bringing you more discussions from specialist dietitians. Thank you for joining me, Sarah. Thank you for having me.